you are new here, my name is Aaron Weiser. <laughs> this is my good friend Skip Bowersauce. Right. Yes, thank that's you. Right. I got my name right. And now that's an accomplishment. Uh, this is my good friend Skip. Uh, we're both like, you know, for 10 years you've been announcing it that's correctly, right. but the one time you do it wrong. That's right. It's just, it's, awesome. all, it's all out the window. Yeah. We're both pastors here at Church on the Rock. Um, if you are new here, welcome to you. If you'd like to get in touch with us and get in sort of the flow of information that comes out about ministry opportunities at Church on the Rock, if you make your way over to the table after the service, there's a little card you can fill out. Uh, if you do so, they will give you a gift. Uh, that gift uh, comes from a ministry that we support over in India. It's kind of a unique story behind that. Mm -hmm. uh, but mo most importantly, and uh, I say this every week, if you're here <coughs> new, you're hearing this for the first time. The God of the universe, your creator, who knew you before the world was created, uh, has sent his Holy Spirit here to this place this morning to speak to you. He loves you, he cares about you, and he wants to connect with you this morning. And one of the ways that we do that is through the teaching of the word. So towards that end, yeah. we're going to jump into a new book. New book, new yeah. series. New series. Uh, story of uh, Queen Esther. That's right. Yeah. It's a great story. I've right. actually been in it for the last few weeks, mm -hmm. really enjoying that story. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's unique. Yeah. God, I do thank you for Skip and for the blessing uh, that he is to our church body. I thank you for the gift of teaching that you have placed in him for our benefit. And I pray that this morning uh, that we would really maximize that benefit by responding to your word with open hearts, open ears, a willing spirit. We commit this time to you and your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I had a really strange dream this morning. I woke up thinking about um, uh, the dream is, and when you're a pastor, you know, things, things aren't normal. Life is not normal, right? And so you dream weird things. And I dreamt that I was actually uh, facilitating a church service in an auditorium, and my family was there. And my Aunt Linda, I was in the back, and my Aunt Linda in front of everyone spun her head around and yelled, Skip, it's time to get on stage, which was embarrassing to me. You know, my aunt tell, telling me how to do my job. Just relax, right? And then I got on stage, and my mom came to stage and brought me my jacket and said, because I was wearing a t-shirt, she said, you really should wear this jacket when you're going to be in front of people. I just thought, gosh, I'm so, Aaron, I don't know how you do it with your family here, all these people, although your mother would never do anything like that. Anyway, I was just was, woke up and appreciating how this church just lets me just be myself and just pretty much do whatever the heck I want, you know? I just love that. Thank you so much for your graciousness to me, especially over these last five years, and we look forward to, uh, to more grace from you towards me in the future, and so that'll be great. Uh, I do want to uh, talk about, uh, do a little bit of a catch-up. Uh, we've had a, a kind of a, a, a long stretch of, of, of a break from our, 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 our kind of our pattern of moving through the narrative of Scripture, um, uh, which we left back in September. In September, we had been talking about the story of King David, and then we took a break in uh, early December to celebrate 
Church on the Rock's 10th anniversary. You remember that? We had a good time then. Uh, Also, not long after that, we had our annual missions conference, which is always a huge deal for us and something that we really enjoy and benefit from, and, and so do the missionaries that we invite to that. But also, we've been taking a break from our our walk through the narrative of Scripture. We've kind of stepped into a a unique section of Scripture that we call the wisdom books or the the poetic wisdom books. I'm talking about Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, uh, that are kind of uh, stories that are born out of the narrative but, but don't necessarily continue the, the story of the Bible. And so during that time, we, we heard from Pastor Aaron in his sermon in Proverbs uh, regarding pornography. And I don't know if you remember, uh, he had actually put a lot of time and effort into his PowerPoint uh, for that message. And I don't know about you, but watching his fancy PowerPoint and knowing he was talking about pornography, it made me a little nervous, right? Where were we going with this? And, and then, of course, I gave my sermon on uh, Ecclesiastes where I talked about uh, that there is a time to kill, right? And uh, very skillfully, artfully snuck in uh, my resignation into that, uh, that message. And then, of course, last week... Um, uh, Song of Solomon, we also discovered that uh, Aaron Weiser has this strange obsession with me. And uh, I, think it's, I, think it's, uh, I think it's time for me to leave. <laughs> it, was, it was getting a little weird there. So that's what's been going on in the life of Church on the Rock since September. But also, I want to talk about what's been going on in the narrative of Scripture from the time we left King David, back in uh, September, to uh, today when we begin, we pick up the narrative again and and begin to look at the story of Queen Esther. Uh, Just to give Esther, that story, some context. Shortly after uh, King David passed away and gave his throne to Solomon, they had great, the nation of Israel had great success. And when Solomon passed away, uh, there was a short uh, civil war that divided the northern tribes of Israel from the southern tribes of Israel. They, the southern tribes of Israel became known as the tribes of Judah. The northern tribes were committed to the dynasty of Saul, King Saul, while the southern tribes were committed to the dynasty of King David. And so they, they split. Still, still brethren, but two very different nations. And both nations in time, Israel and Judah, uh, were uh, pursuing false gods. They began to worship false gods. And because of their idolatry against the one true God and their general lack of justice, towards the helpless in their nations, the Lord began to bring them little by little into exile uh, and as a form of punishment. And so first, bringing the Israelites into exile into Assyria, and then later bringing the, uh, the, the, the people of Judah into exile into the nation of Babylon. And after 300 years of accumulative captivity, Many of the Jews now have been allowed to, under the, uh, the reign of the king of Persia, 
Many of the Jews have been allowed to return to the promised land and reestablish themselves as a holy nation, as a royal priesthood, a nation where God would be worshipped in purity, a nation where they would be committed to, uh, to observing every piece of God's law with faithfulness, with fervor, with diligence, so that they would never again fall away and worship false gods and never again be punished by God by going into captivity. This was uh, the, you, you, many of you have probably heard of the Pharisees, these, these, uh, this religious group of, of men in the time of Jesus who were, um, who, who really in very unreasonable ways were committed to leading people to follow God's laws. Uh, they, were, they were born out of this idea that we must never again even hint towards or come close to disobeying God's law. We must follow it perfectly. And so it's in that context, not in Israel, but over in Persia, that we meet a handful of Jews who have, who have stayed in their land of captivity. Um, and uh, one of them in particular has had the opportunity to, to uh, rise to the power of, of being queen, and that's Esther. If you, if you, uh, there's a handful of books, really three, that talk about this season in Israel's history where they are coming out of exile and being reestablished in the promised land, Ezra, Nehemiah, and the book of Esther. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you want to open your Bibles, not to the book of Esther, but the book of Ezra, and find Ezra chapter 6. You'll notice that between Ezra chapter 6 and Ezra chapter 7, that there is a gap of white paper there, right? And that gap of white paper represents about 50 years of time during which the story of Queen Queen Esther took place, okay? And so the, the Israelites, many of them, have returned to the promised land And now, to celebrate God's favor in allowing them to return to the promised land, they are reestablishing a celebration that is unique to them as a Jewish nation, a celebration that defines them as a people, and even in some ways uh, defines us as Christians. And so I want to read to you the passage in Ezra, Ezra chapter 6. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together, all of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests, and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile, and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the hearts of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. 
And so while there in Israel, celebrating the Passover, there's a group over in Persia who are about to go through some horrific events that actually end in great joy, in great celebration of the sovereignty of God. So with that, we turn to the book of Esther. The book of Esther is a book that is bookended with parties, great celebrations. It begins with the celebrations of King Xerxes, and at the end of the book, we discover the celebration of Purim. In fact, the book is written as an apologetic for the celebration of Purim. Purim is not one of the original seven feasts that God commanded the Israelites to celebrate. And so there had to be some explanation given. Why are we now also celebrating this celebration? Why are we also having this party? And so the story goes that King Xerxes, this Persian king, had a great celebration. For 180 days, he was showing off the great wealth and uh, beauty of his kingdom. And that's a long time to to have show and tell, right? And so he's showing this all off, and at the end of that 180 days, he decided that he would throw one last party to bring, some, bring an end to this time, and it would last for, uh, for seven days. And so he instructed his servants, he said, everyone I invite to this party for seven days, do not resist them if they want wine, whatever, uh, let them drink as they want to, as much as they want, as little as they want, and put in every man's hand a unique goblet made of gold. And so there's all these goblets. And one of the things I noticed in the passage I thought was especially cool, as the author is describing the beauty and the majesty of this kingdom, he only names a handful of things. And one of them was the the marble mosaic floors. Did you notice that? Oh, there's couches of gold sitting on these marble mosaic floors. And I thought, yeah, beautiful tile here in Persia. And so these men and women are, are celebrating. The Queen Vashti has her own party over in another, in another building. And after seven days of drinking, Xerxes says, uh, hey, let's, uh, let's have, that's my best drunk voice, sorry, you gotta roll with that. Uh, let's have Queen Vashti, my queen, come into the room. I want to display her beauty for all of you drunk men, right? And the queen actually, in a, in a, in a, in a brave moment of wisdom, says, I refuse to participate in that. I will not be coming to your drunken party to display my beauty. And we don't know exactly what he was going for, but we, we can suppose that there was a, a, a lewd intention with that. And so Queen Vashti, at the risk of her life, refuses to go to the party that certainly would have risked her life. But because of her refusal, the king's wise men tell the king, listen, all the other men are going to say, how can I expect my wife to obey me when even the, the king's wife does not obey him? And so there will be havoc in the whole nation. All these wives will rebel against their husbands. We can't have that. So get rid of Ashti. Find yourself a new queen. And that's exactly what he did. And queen Esther was prepared and brought, and, and he chose her to be his queen. She kept one little secret from him, her Jewish ancestry, her identity. 
Now, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at this story in greater detail. But for this morning, it's, it's, uh, it's sufficient to just know that as the story goes on, there becomes a man named Haman who hates the Jews. In fact, he hates one Jew in particular, uh, Esther's uh, uh, cousin Mordecai. And he decides that he's going to have all the Jews destroyed. And Esther, through a series of banquets, smaller, more intimate parties uh, between Esther and Haman and the king, Esther reveals Haman's plan to have her people killed. And uh, the king says, well, I cannot, I cannot undo the decree that I have made to have these people destroyed. But what I can do now is send out a second decree that will allow these people to take up arms against their enemies and to defend themselves. And so, in a very, very quick, brief turn of events, the Jews are allowed to defend themselves, and they do, and they are able to, uh, to preserve their lives and their heritage. And in celebration of these events, they begin the the party that this book ends with, the celebration of Purim, which even to this day is, uh, is celebrated. And so I'd like to read to you from Esther the, the closing verses, some of the closing verses of the book of Esther where this, this second feast, this Purim celebration is kind of uh, described. Esther 9, verse 20 through 28 Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the province of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th day of the month of Adar. That's the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as, an, as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them and wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, son of Hamadath, maybe, the Agrigite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the purr, that is, the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written <coughs> orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should, be, should come back onto his own head, and that he and his sons should be impaled on poles. Therefore, these days are called Purim, for the word pur. Because of everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it on themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, and in every province, and in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews nor should the memory of these days die, die out among the descendants. I want to talk about why celebration matters. I think we have this attitude about parties, about celebration, about enjoyment, 
this attitude that, that uh, it's just extra. It's just frosting on the cake. It's not necessary. And I would disagree. In fact, I was thinking this week about, uh, about this message, and I just feel like in some ways it's this message that has uh, been the message of my life. <clears throat> that's not to say I'm the funnest guy in the room, because that's, that's not not even close to being true, right? Uh, I'm like Pam. My version of fun is, is very uh, unrecognizable, right? Uh, however, I do celebrate and I, I do enjoy and see the value in the discipline of enjoyment. In fact, I would say that enjoyment is evidence of the gospel applied and also fuels the pursuit of wisdom. Did you know enjoyment was that big of a deal? It really is. It is evidence of the gospel applied. When we begin to think about where we would be without the gospel, when we begin to consider the consequences of being forever separated from the one true God, the giver of life, the giver of promises, the giver of all good things, when we consider what it would be like to be distant from him, to be, to be forever and without any recourse, bogged down and buried in our own shame, in our own embarrassment, in our own guilt, when we consider that, and then we realize that the God of the universe has sent his son, Jesus, to the earth, to live a perfect, indestructible life on the earth and to, without any guilt or shame of his own, bear the weight of our guilt and shame on the cross, nailed there for sins he did not commit. And that he did that so that we might be washed, so to speak, in his blood. That he would take the punishment for our sin upon himself so that we might be free. When we consider that, is there any other appropriate response than to celebrate, right? To give thanks. And what I love about what Jesus did on the cross is that I had no hope of enjoyment, that any gift that came into my life was absolutely inappropriate unless Jesus rescues me. But because he has so completely rescued me, I am free now to enjoy. I am free now to let the joy of the Lord be my strength. I am free now from my guilt and my shame before God. I'm free now to live a life of abundance. And so Jesus shed blood has purchased for me my enjoyment. And as I have walked with the Lord now for multiple decades, the longer I walk with him, the more I become aware of the absolute brazen confidence I can have to choose to enjoy, to choose to not be buried in my guilt and shame any longer. But because of the death and resurrection of Jesus and my confidence in him, I can be free to celebrate and enjoy, no longer buried. Not only does uh, is enjoyment evidence of the gospel applied, but it also fuels my own pursuit of wisdom. There is a freedom for me now that I have been set free by Jesus, 
There is a freedom to explore. There is a freedom, a, 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 a willingness and a, and a capacity to take uh, risks, right? To, to, uh, to consider alternative futures that I may never, if I was buried under my own shame, that I may not ever consider are options for me. This, this enjoyment fuels my pursuit of wisdom. There's a, there's a passage that I have turned to for years, and I love it. It's uh, in, in Proverbs chapter 8. It describes, it personifies uh, wisdom as a woman. And it describes this woman wisdom as being next to God as he created the universe. And she goes on and says how she was by his side as, as he told uh, as he told the ocean how far it could come, right? She, she describes herself as being a craftsman by his side. And what I love about this is that it, wisdom says, and this is how I behaved as I was standing next to the creator God of the universe. This is how I behaved. She says, then I was constantly at his side. And I was filled with delight day after day. Rejoicing always in his presence. Rejoicing in his whole world. And delighting in mankind. Enjoyment fuels the pursuit of wisdom. Did you know this morning that you are free to pursue a brand new experience? Did you know that? You're free because God is not requiring anything of you, but only ever inviting you into greater enjoyment in him, greater joy in the Lord, greater wisdom as you skillfully navigate what, it's like, what it is to celebrate your salvation. Celebration matters, and we must take partying seriously. I get in trouble at parties. I have a, you may have noticed this, for a 42-year-old, I have a, a, a significant um, lack of uh, observing boundaries. You might have picked up on that, right? There's, there's a, there, there still is a, a, an immaturity there with, with Uncle Skip here. And I, I rather enjoy it, honestly. But <laughs> I remember times when my wife and I would pull up to a house where we were about to step into a party, and she would say, oh, maybe we should pray. Right? And so we would just pray. And, and it was a good idea because what happens to I like when I step into a social environment where I, especially one where I feel comfortable, I'm with friends and we are celebrating something I can get behind and I, I kind of let my, my, my walls down. Um, I, 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 there are certain valuable things that I don't take seriously. Uh, to my own regret, I often leave a party and I think, that was, that was dumb. I, sh I probably shouldn't have said that, right? But I get carried away. I'm, I, I think of, uh, what's going on here? Um, I think of my, I think we're good, but I will, while you're here, I'll let you get me a Kleenex or a napkin or something. Oh, yeah. Please. Um, somebody help Drew out with that? Or? Oh, he's got it. Okay. You're, you're working on it? I, 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 my, aunt, uh, my Aunt Marlene, back in the day, she used to have this golden retriever, and, and his name was Mickey, and he would walk through the room and get excited, and his tail would wag, and he would be whacking people in the knees, thank you, and uh, not even aware of it. Have you seen that kind of thing? 
Yeah, you can, you can, you can dig that. Well, uh, that's me at parties, uh, just kind of unaware of the damage that could be done when you don't take things seriously. You know, Lewis, C.S. Lewis said, there is a kind of happiness and wonder that makes you serious. It's appropriate to party. It's appropriate to celebrate. There are things worth celebrating, and then there are things absolutely worth celebrating. And the gospel is full of things that we must celebrate if we have any desire for enjoyment or wisdom. We must take seriously the desperation of our situation. We, like the Jews, had an enemy who put a bullseye on our backs and said, I will destroy every one of them. Everyone who was made in the image of God, I want them destroyed. I want them to rot in hell for all of eternity. And so I'm going after them. I will lie to them. I will deceive them. I will kill them. I will absolutely go after them. This was our condition before the salvation of Christ was offered to us. We must take seriously the desperation of our situation. Not only that, but we must take seriously the completeness of our rescue, right? The Jews had an enemy, Haman, who put the bullseye on their back and in God's sovereignty, he moved in and very quickly without without Haman ever seeing it coming, he changed things around so that the king himself was putting out an edict that said, I offer you salvation. And the same has happened to every one of us. The God of the universe has said, I'm offering you complete salvation. The bullseye gets canceled when you put your confidence and your dependence for life in the death and resurrection of my son Jesus. And when you take that gift seriously, the completeness that his gift to us rescues us so thoroughly, uh, it's cause to celebrate. You must beware of the party pooper. (laughs) Do you know the party pooper? Jennifer is not the only party pooper. But I am a party pooper too. Party pooper. I, I just, uh, I, I think that there's probably a much longer list, but everything else in this message, I don't know if you've noticed, everything else mes- in this message comes in twos. So I'll just give you two. I just think about my own life. I mean, I'm, I'm actually a professional Christian, at least for the next few minutes. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and, and yet, I forget to take seriously the desperateness of my situation before Christ. And even I forget to take seriously the completeness of my rescue. And when I do, the things that that kind of bring that out, when I am my own party pooper, I would say that the party pooper is someone who establishes justice 
for their situation. And let me be a little bit more specific because certainly the Lord is calling us not only to establish justice for our situation, but justice for the situations of others as well. But let me be specific. The party pooper is someone who, is a, who seeks to establish justice for their situation, justice before God. They say to God, this is not right. Uh, I hold this against you. Or they say to God, I have something to offer this situation myself. Let me bring my own justice to this situation. For me, uh, I find myself uh, pooping on my own party. It's because I become so aware of myself and my own desire to be a God that I disobey uh, uh, Jesus in his command not to judge. I, I, I neglect to see for moments that I, as I judge others, I am creating a standard that I myself will be judged against. And I forget the seriousness of that. And it begins to rob me of life. It begins to rob me of joy. It begins to distract me from the celebration that is mine in Christ. Also, the party pooper forgets the completeness of their rescue. They forget, and I forget. I know that I belong to a church. I know that I belong to Christ. But sometimes I, I reflect on my, my sin, even the sins that are happening, you know, even in these moments of my life. And I forget the completeness of my rescue. What I love about the book of Esther is this, this encouragement to build memorials. That this party would be, even, even on the calendar, would be a landmark to navigate the Jews. You will always have a God who moves on your behalf in sovereignty, right? And you and I can say the same thing. We always have a God who is committed to our salvation. If you forget about it, build a memorial so that you might not lose out on the party. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward. So what will you do with this, a message like this, a message encouraging you to party, to celebrate, a, a message encouraging you to take seriously the elements of celebration and the joy of the Lord, a message that would remind you of the dangers of being your own party pooper? Uh, I don't know what you will do with this. Um, you're big boys and girls. You have your own walk with the Lord. I would encourage you to reflect on these things and allow the Lord to speak to you. It may be that he would call you to building memorial. It may be that he will call you to investing in understanding your salvation in greater ways. I would say this, though, that we are, as people, we are defined by what we celebrate. And so may you be a people who will celebrate the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you stand?
But you know, at Church on the Rock, we offer a number of ways of responding. We have the uh, communion tables around the room, uh, certainly a way of celebrating Jesus' broken body and shed blood. So offering receptacles around the room. Even your generous gift is a, is a celebration. There's people off to the side who would be glad to pray with you if you uh, have any need at all. They, they would love you. They would meet with you and go to the Lord with you in that place right over there. And of course, we, we will sing songs celebrating the character of God. You know, there's a psalmist who says uh, that I will sing a new song to the Lord. That in his enjoyment of the gift of salvation, he says, I, I have a brand new tongue on, or song on the tip of my tongue. I'm going to celebrate the Lord that way. And I would just say, whether you're uh, musically inclined or not, you may not have a new song. But maybe it's time to consider what it would look like for you to have a new commitment to celebration. Celebrating the gift of God in your life. Amen? Let's worship. Just say this morning that if you're someone who is still, uh, uh, you're, you're still unsure, it's still a bit of a mystery to you how Jesus' death on the cross can mean salvation for you, today's the day. Do not delay your enjoyment of that freedom. Do not delay the celebration one day longer. There are people in this room that would love to talk to you about that. You can come find myself or Aaron. There's people, uh, the people that are praying. There's just a number of people. Find someone to help explain that freedom to you. All right. Hey, today is actually my uh, last day as, uh, an, as technically as an employee of Church on the Rock. Um, uh, to confuse the timeline of my resignation even further, I'll be back next week preaching the message, <laughs> but, but as a volunteer. And I just want to say to you, again, as I've said already, it has been one of the great privileges of my life to serve this church as your pastor, to serve with Aaron as a co-pastor. Thank you so much for entrusting me with that. In my home, my wife and I have talked about how, how to gift you. And so um, from our household to yours, we have a, a commemorative box of Cocoa Pebbles that we would like to... Uh, to make available to you as you leave the room um, and you just enjoy that and always remember our special time together when the Bower Soxes were your pastors, all right? Lord bless you. Don't forget to sign up for Ladies Night Out and uh, Tuesday trainings coming up. You are dismissed. Grab your Coca Pebbles. We'll see you next week. <laughs>